today uh, I get to finish off our Sons and Daughters series. It is part four. You can get all uh, the whole series on our podcast. It's all available. And um, last week uh, I spoke about attachment. Attachment theory, I spoke about how because of the picture of adoption that God chooses to reveal His relationship with us through, that we understand that we need to build an attachment with God. It is not just something that automatically happens. It is something that takes time. It's a process through which we build and grow a relationship with with God. And so we spoke about that, and, and I just want to make a quick uh, remark because uh, I, I do know, having done some research and having spoken to people, that sometimes attachment theory, especially for parents, becomes a bit of a burden. It's like, oh man, I really need to get everything right. If not, I'm going to stuff my child up. Um, no, that is not what attachment theory is saying. Attachment theory is about uh, uh, the desire and, and the, the skills associated with attuning into the child and doing your absolute best, yes, but I can't quote for sure, but uh, somewhere along the line, I did some reading and research on this, and apparently a child builds a secure attachment with their parent when a parent meets one of three needs. 33% gets you a secure attachment. Why? I think a part of it is because the child actually over time needs to learn how to meet their own needs as well. Imagine the blob staying a blob for the rest of their life. Kind of a hopeless, useless human being, right? A parent's desire is not that they stay like a blob for the rest of their life. A parent's desire is that the blob becomes a child, then becomes a youth. Uh, sometimes I think parents want to skip the youth stage and they want to get to the adult stage where they are uh, an, a well-adjusted human being. And so I think attachment theory does give room for the child to actually also be meeting their own needs. Hello, child. <laughs> Bye-bye, child. No. What a nice little distraction. And he was doing so well this morning. Um, but I do want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about yet another theory because this theory is going to help us understand how we build a new attachment, okay? So last week we spoke about our need to build an attachment with God. And I, I would assume that some people might ask, I wonder how that looks like. I wonder what that means to build an attachment with God. And so today I want to talk to you about something that is called the circle of security. The circle of security. This is literally, Beck and I have got this on our fridge. Um, our psychologist gave it to us. And um, this came about because as um, one of the things that I learned as a dad over the last year is that um, being a parent is demanding. I think that would be the word for it. Children are demanding, you know, and life only gets more and more demanding, right? And so um, as, as a more introverted personality, I found myself getting home, especially the first, uh, after parental leave, where, you know, I was at home the whole day with Sam and, and Beck, and it, and it was like, it was okay. It was not bad. Uh, he was adjusting to our family. There were a few ups and downs. It was difficult, but we were there together. But then I, I went back to work. Um, and after work, I found myself sometimes dreading going home, because I would come home to this child 
who would make demands of my energy and of my time. And so sometimes I would be like, maybe I'll just stay a little bit longer. I will study the Word of God or whatever it would take so that I will be a little bit later and then, you know, I'll get home. But over time, I found that I was becoming more drained and my patience level was nowhere near as high as I wanted it to be. My engagement with Sam was nowhere near as great as I wanted it to be. And, and, and it did kind of scare me a little bit that I wasn't as engaged and patient with Sam. And, and so I brought it up with my psychologist. Beck and I have both made a commitment to personal health and we see a psychologist once every four to six weeks. And I brought it up with my psych. And I said, hey, I've noticed this. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on. Um, and the good thing is that uh, uh, my psychologist is really empathetic and said, well, a kid's a kid, right? You know, they, they need you, right? So it's kind of going to be draining. It's like, yes, but aren't I, as dad, supposed to be like, superhuman, graced by the Lord to be able to handle this, this um, crying, whinging child of mine. And uh, my psychologist, over, over the, the conversation, brought up the circle of security. And uh, the circle of security, I'll explain it in a moment, but on the bottom right, it says that as a caregiver, as a parent, uh, I'm always to be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. Bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. That was what I was supposed to be as a caregiver, according to the circle of security. And it makes sense, doesn't it? When you want your child to attach to you, to find you a secure person, you need to be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. Imagine if I was smaller, weaker, foolish, and cruel. That would make a great parent, isn't it? No, it kind of makes sense. And so my psychologist started to ask me, when are you, Nate, when are you bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind? How do you get to a place where you are bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind? And after a bit of conversation, we landed on the fact that I needed to have my cup filled. If I, as a human being, did not have the emotional energy to invest into my child, I find it extremely hard to be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. And so my psychologist then talked about the need to refresh and recharge and all of that kind of stuff, which I thought was uh, really, really helpful. And I just want to put it out there to any parent and future parent that you need to understand that if without your cup being somewhat full, if you're running on empty, you are likely to be smaller, foolish, cruel. That's what we do as parents. I've been there. Some days I'm like, I've got nothing for you, child. <laughs> Go to your mum. <laughs> and it's a, it's a bad day for the whole four household when both Beck and I are running on empty, which doesn't happen too often, uh, praise the Lord. But the whole point of being bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind, and this is the next thing that we were talking about, is to be um, a caregiver that is able to provide a circle of security. And so on the left of the image, you see those two hands. They are hands. I know they look a bit weird from where you are. Uh, but they are hands, and they represent a secure base and a safe haven. A secure base and a safe haven. When I am, as a caregiver, bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind, I am able to be a good secure base for Sam, and I'm also able to be a good safe haven. 
A secure base would then allow Sam to be secure enough to explore the world and to go out, to play with dirt, to climb on stuff, to talk to people. All of those things are necessary when the child is confident that they have a secure base. Their parent is going to be there watching out and making sure that they stay safe. That's a secure base. But then when the exploration is somewhat done and child wants to come back, I need to then have a safe haven. I need to welcome Sam back home. And so as I was talking with my psychologist and understanding that those are the two roles that I need to play in order for Sam to feel secure and then to therefore build an attachment, I needed to do those two things well. I needed to attune when he wanted to explore. I needed to know when he was going to go out. I needed to be watchful and mindful. I don't just like, all right, go to the playground and then get on my phone and like, let's stuff you, whatever happens, you know. No, no, no. Uh, even when we are out, as he is learning his physical capabilities, as he is uh, learning what the world looks like, he knows that dad is watching out, and mom, of course, but I'm just going to use dad for today, all right? Um, and, and so he needs to know. And, and so we, we did notice this. When we go to the park, Sam would at first be really excited and so he'll run off but then after a while you'll see him kind of looking backwards is mom there is dad there oh they're still there yep you know we'll go a little bit further i'll try something else that's what a child's doing is my secure base continuing to be there but after a while after a bit of exploration and doing stuff he will want to come back we were at dylan Alyssa's uh, first year birthday for Daniel, and Sam did something that he had never done before, which was extremely interesting for us. He, in amongst a crowd of people that he did not know, and I didn't even really know that well, he just went up to people, and he was just like, and he just walked around, said, smiled. I was like, what is going on? And then he did that to a few people. And then he, he, he did about a circle. And then he came back to, uh, to Beck. And then he, he was like, yeah, carry me. I was like, that was strange. But it was good that he's social and that he knows that mom and dad are there for him and that he can come back and provide the safe haven. Uh, but then I started to see as well, which was really interesting, Something that um, made me a little bit worried because uh, for many months, Sam wasn't very adventurous. He's not a very physically adventurous boy. Uh, he tends to kind of play with the dirt and, and likes, you know, being able to do things that he's very comfortable with doing. He's not the kind that would, he's not a daredevil. Um, and so I honestly, at, at an earlier stage, I was a little bit worried because I was like, why isn't he doing exploration? And I was looking at this model and I was going like, hmm, am I a secure enough base for Sam to do exploration? It honestly was a bit of a worry for me. I was like, go do stuff, explore the world. I am here. And I was starting to wonder, am I good enough? Or, and maybe as well, is Sam broken? You know, there were those thoughts that went through my head and I needed to work through those thoughts. And I suddenly realized that I thought that this was a very mechanical, linear equation kind of a circle. If I'm bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind, and I provide a secure base, you should be exploring, right? Make sense? All the dads in the room say, I. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about, dads. Mums seem to be a bit more in tune to the whole, like, you know, life is ups and downs. Dads are like, no, life's supposed to make sense. And, um, and, and kids don't make sense. And so I realized that Sam's 
circle of security, if you will, was kind of small. And he wasn't really willing to or wanting to push beyond that. But then I realized after a while, that's okay. That's where he's at. And he needs to continue to find out. And maybe there's some adoption-related issues that he needs to keep this circle small. But he is here in this circle, and one day he will explore when he determines that I am a secure base according to his functioning, not according to mine. And maybe, uh, you know, his personality is involved in that. Maybe he's not a risk taker. That's completely fine. Um, whatever it is, that is a bit more to do with both of us engaging in this circle and bringing whatever we've got into this circle until we bring um, uh, this. And now Sam is doing a lot more physically. And, and I think a part of it is just that he's more able to. And that's great. But it took time. <laughs> it took time for this circle to start to grow larger. And I think that the circle of security gives us uh, a picture of how we are to grow in our relationship with God. We need to understand that we need to enter into God's circle of security. We need to explore how He is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. And as Christians, I think we naturally assume that God is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. That's kind of what we think should happen with God, right? Why you call God if you are smaller, weaker, foolish, and cruel? I don't want a God like that. We all want a bigger, stronger, wiser, kind God, right? Okay, some people are normal. Others of you, you want the weird stuff? Wrong church. Um, but, but we want God to be like that. But have we explored and understood whether He is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind? Have you explored how God is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind to you? See, one of the things that I find fascinating over time is that God chooses to use adoption as a description of our relationship. He uses many other descriptions, shepherd, king, you know, God. God is a pretty good description. He's you know, our creator, deity, if you will, whatever you want to call that. Uh, Jesus says that you are my brothers. That's kind of really cool as well. But God chooses also to use the word adoption. And one of the things about using the word adoption, I believe, is that we don't know how God operates until we are aware that He is in operation in our lives. See, when Sam first came into our care, being a four-month-old, uh, he quite quickly uh, was looking for that connection. That was normal for any child to need that kind of connection. But I have heard of other stories from uh, people who were adopted at a later stage, and the initial transition period is a lot harder. Why is it a lot harder? I think it's because of this. I came across this quote, and it says, Our brains are wired for connection. Our brains, our literal physical brains, light up with connection. We desire, we are rewarded by connection. Connection makes our brains stronger. This are literal scientific fact. But trauma rewires them for protection. That's why healthy relationships are difficult for wounded people. 
we are wired to thrive in connection with other people and with God, I believe. But trauma stops us from relating to other people because we become protective. Even just physically see this, right? When I am wanting to connect with others, I hug people, I open my arms up. There's an openness and also a vulnerability. I have opened up my internal organs, my most important organs up for you to take a shot at. That's basically, you know, if I'm going to go into a fight with someone else, I'm not going to go, come on. You know, I'm going to close up. I'm going to get protective. I'm going to make sure that for you to hit me where it hurts most is going to be extremely hard. And so in our brains, in our emotion, when we have been hurt or we don't know what this other person is like, we are waiting for the person to throw the first punch. And we're going to go, see, I knew it. I knew that you were going to do that. I knew you were going to hurt me. I knew you were going to reject me. And that's why I had this up in the first place. And that's what happens when we have this insecure attachment style. We look for ways that we protect ourselves rather than open ourselves up for connection. I remember uh, speaking to someone, um, and it was actually quite a sad conversation because I was talking about relationships and, um, and family and uh, this person was talking about really desiring to have healthy relationships. And I, I just simply said, why don't you? Why, if you want healthy relationships, have healthy relationships. It's kind of easy, you know? Don't choose jerks. You know, get together with people that are healthy. And this person just said something that really, like, hit me because this person said, I don't know what a healthy relationship looks like. Now this person, Beck and I, have been sewing into for many years. We had been meeting up, inviting this person to our family, we had meals, we had all sorts of experiences, and I thought that I was doing a pretty darn good job at being family to this person. And so I said, what about Beck and I? <laughs> and this person was just like, oh, I guess. And I was just like, what is going on here? See, I have a secure attachment style. I'm willing to open up. I know myself, and I'm willing to provide that circle of security for someone else. But this person did not recognize it. This person couldn't learn from this relationship because this person wasn't coming in with open arms, but coming in ready for a fist fight. See, we are wired for connection, but trauma rewires us for protection. Last week, I, I brought up 1 John 4, verses 18 to 19, and, and I want to read it again. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, John, a little bit earlier, he had already said, God is love. It is one of those uh, uh, central concepts to our Christianity that God is love. And so he's already saying, God is love, guys. You know that God is love and that we are made perfect in his love. This is a, an amazing thing. And by the way, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. And so we have this understanding uh, that if, um, 
when we enter into God's love, we are entering into His circle of security, and it gives us the security to explore and to live life. But when we fail to enter God's circle of security, it is because we are living in fear. We are living protectively of ourselves. We are saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to just go in there and open up. I don't know what's going to happen. And it's fear-driven in terms of our relationship with God. And John then goes on to say that we are fearful because we are afraid of punishment. We are afraid of punishment. When it comes to any relationship, we are protective because there could be a punishing aspect to this relationship. What kind of punishments are we talking about here? Here are some examples I could think of. We fear that we are going to stuff up and God's going to punish us. We fear that we aren't going to be good enough and God is going to reject us. This one's a big one. What is good enough for God? And Pastor Beck spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. But some of us are still living in the fear of God's rejection. And I have met people like this before who have actually tested and rejected me before I could reject them. Seriously, I've met people like that, that they don't want to come anywhere close to me because it is better to not have this relationship, than to have this relationship and to be hurt by his rejection. Some of us relate to God in the same way. I'm not going to come close to God because he's going to reject me when he sees how black and, and, and broken I am on the inside, how, how depraved what I've gone through and what I did. And so before God rejects me, I'm going to reject him. It makes a lot more sense for me to live that way rather than to live with another rejection. Another one, another fear, is that we fear that God can't be trusted. We don't know what He's like. And if we trust Him and give Him responsibility over aspects of our life, we are going to suffer the consequences if He can't come through. See, many of us have learned in our lives, in our experiences that perhaps God's standards are so high or God demands so much of us that we're never going to reach those standards. Or perhaps we've learned that we can only trust ourselves and no one else, and so trusting God is just one of those things that we don't do. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. No one's going to look after you. You need to look after yourself. Sure. If you want to live that way, you can, but you're just never going to have secure relationships. You're just never going to have the life that God has got in store for you. These things that we have learned about life stop us from really entering into God's circle of security. See, truth is, I was similar. Remember that even though I had a lot of great experiences with uh, relationships and life growing up, but God adopting me means that this is a new relationship. This is something that I needed to really enter into. And there were still certain hang-ups that I got. And, one of those, and some of those hang-ups is that I would rather trust myself than anyone else. That was one of my things. And so I sought to control life. 
I sought to make sure that I was in control of all aspects of life. And, and, and I made sure that I, I was the one responsible uh, for the plans and the, the vision and the strategy and how life was meant to work out. That was how I carried on with life. And it worked until it didn't. That's one of the things about stupid mindsets. They do work until they don't. And then when they don't, they're like, but it worked. I was like, no, it didn't. It just wasn't tested. And so I wasn't tested in my trust of God until my early 20s. And I hit this point where I was like, I can't do this by myself. My plans and my control has led me to a place where I'm empty and I've got nothing else to give. I was desperate. And so I was like, God, the alternative is to trust you. And I don't like that. And I don't want that. But the kind of journey that I was on, I think God knew that I was going to be open enough to, to try. And so I started reading the Bible. It's a good place to start if you're wanting to know whether God can be trusted. And I, and I needed to learn how to see God as a place of security. That was my big thing. A place that I could be comfortable that He was going to look after me. And so as I was going through life, I, I, I finally came to Psalm 121. And I knew that God was speaking to me because I actually don't like Psalms. Psalms are kind of like flowery nonsense, in my opinion. It's like, you could have said those 20 lines in one line, David. You've obviously spent too much time out with the sheep. That is my kind of perception of the Psalms. But God spoke to me through it, say, thanks God. Well, I came to Psalm 121, and it is one of my favorite Psalms, and it says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I read that psalm, and at first I was just, I think it was God's love just overwhelming me and saying, this is my promise to you. This is how you can and really should come to trust me. And, and there's this overwhelming sense of like, God, this is, this is beautiful. This is something that I couldn't even think to ask of you, that you would watch over me all the time. And, 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 and in my mindset of having to look after myself, this was like, do you really do this, God? Is this who you really are? And then as I started to think about it and reflect on this psalm, really the first couple of verses stood out to me. It starts off with saying, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And that spoke to me because that was really my cry. God, are you really there? Do you really want to help me? Is that who you are? Can you be trusted? And then the next verse says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and earth. Maker of heaven and earth. And this is what God spoke to me in that moment. I created everything. I created all of this. I did that. Not you. You don't even know 
how to do any of this, but I did it. And then I created you. Before you were even born, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I pieced you together, designed you. I know how you work. I know you. And by the way, I sustain you. Every breath that you take, you think it's your diaphragm? Who designed your flipping diaphragm? I did. And I'm the one that puts air in your lungs so that you continue breathing. So know this, that whenever you're breathing, you are understanding that I am sustaining you. The creator of heaven and earth is that intimately aware of you that I know that you are breathing right now because I have ordained it and sustained it. And suddenly in that moment, I was like, God is bigger. Oh, wow. I'm not just talking about relating to a God that I serve, but a God who sustains me. I'm not just talking about a God that I'm meant to be paying my tithes to. I'm talking about a God who knows me and is sustaining me and has got a plan and a purpose for my life that even in this darkest moment that I was facing where I did not know where hope would come from, I did not know where help would come from, God continues to sustain me. I didn't know it back then, but that was me understanding. And for the first time in my life, and this is, like I said, only maybe 10 to 15 years ago, that I went, God, I need to enter your circle of security. I need to stop protecting myself from your circle of security. I need to understand how you are a secure base. And I need to understand how you are a safe haven. You know, Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I had seen this proverb many times. It's been, it's been said so many times in church. And, and yet, for the first time after understanding about God actually being the creator of the heavens and earth, yet being my personal help, was that God is strong but I run into it. God is strong. But you know what is the point of a strong tower if you're outside of it? If you're facing a battle against a, an army and you've got this strong tower over there, would you stand here or would you go into the tower? You see, that was something that I needed to realize that as much as I intellectually understood that God is powerful and strong, I was emotionally on the outside of that tower. I wonder how many people in this room are in the same boat. That you've never emotionally given yourself the opportunity to connect with a God who is bigger, stronger, wiser and kind but that you will only ever know that when you're in his circle of security. I want to make one more point before we finish off. Along my journey of understanding how human beings are wired relationally and with all this stuff about adoption, I started to come across a lot of studies that show that how we heal from these insecurities and this sense of protection is that we need someone else to show us what openness and what family looks like.
I learned that at its most basic form, that emotional regulation, which is, you know, our anxieties, our fears, even our joy and our sensation-seeking and all of those emotions that go inside of us, we cannot regulate them in isolation. We learn how to regulate our emotions based on our parents, first and foremost, for better or worse. How our parents regulate, we regulate. That's just how we are wired. And sometimes when we have not had a great regulation model, to re-regulate is not just, I think I can, I think I can, yes I can. No, 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 it's actually going, that's the model that I've always lived with. I need someone else to show me how to do this. It's called co-regulation. We don't learn regulation without co-regulation. And I believe that last week I, I put this psalm out there, which says that God places the lonely in family. Why doesn't God place the lonely with Him in heaven? Why? Why doesn't God just say, I'm going to heal you, and you can live in isolation in your little cave of protection somewhere else? No, no, He says, I'm going to place the lonely, the isolated, those who have been desolated, those who have been uh, let down, those who have been disappointed, those who have been abandoned, and I'm going to put them with other human beings. Why? Because I think God in His great love knows that our love for Him is best understood in relation with other people. And I needed to learn that. And that's why in this church, we practice relational discipleship. We don't just practice going to a class to learn about God. We practice opening up our homes to people. So disciples, you know who you are. You, you've been to the things and we were going to, we're going to have another disciple workshop for people that want to be disciples in this house. Can I just put forward to you that the greatest issues that you will see in your disciple is best solved in a home, in family. You see that dysregulated young person? Yeah, throwing them the textbook doesn't work. I've tried it. I was a youth pastor for many years. I was like, solve your issues. Why? Don't you understand that that's not how you deal with that anxiety? And then I realized, no, me throwing a book at them doesn't help. Me being a secure base and a safe haven does. And so you can come every Sunday. You can learn everything that I've teach. I think it's pretty good content. But you won't change until you actually enter into another person's circle of security. That's how God has wired us for healing. So maybe you're on the side where you need to find someone who's willing to invite you over for a meal, show you what family is like. Beck and I have literally taken this on and have tried it a lot more, and we actually talk to people about what it means to be discipled as part of our family. We talk to them about rights and responsibility, what is conditional and what is unconditional from us. We literally have conversations about that. Why? Because that's, I believe, the model in the Bible. And as you go through that relationship, you will start to see that, wow, God actually really loves me. 
You will heal from the past issues. Protectiveness will not get you healing. It will keep you where you are. It is through opening up for connection that you're going to find healing. And it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. For those who have been through a lot, I know I'm asking for a lot. I know I'm asking you to do something that you're really not comfortable with. I'm asking you to do something that you cannot even imagine yourself doing. And perhaps it's going to take a little bit more time. Just keep coming on Sunday. Just keep seeing what kind of people we are. That's okay. But are you taking those steps to gradually build into a place where you can be in God's circle of security? I've known people who have been Christian their whole life and still do not trust God. They've never explored whether God is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. My challenge for you is that starting today, that you start to explore what does it mean for me to understand and to experience that God is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. Examine how you deal with your anxieties and your worries and fears in your life. Is it through pushing through by yourself? Or is it through understanding that God is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind? And I do want to say this because I felt this this morning and it was really interesting for me. But you know, I think some of us have different aspects of God kind of pinned down and we are kind of understand that. For example, some people I know really understand that God is healer. But when you don't understand the other aspects of God and you just cling on to God being healer, then what happens is that when you receive your healing, you don't need God anymore. When you see God as provider and you get that God is provider and you really want to work that aspect of God out, then when God provides for you, you don't need God anymore. When you see God as protector and you, you want that security, once you have that security, you don't need God anymore. God's circle of security is not about giving you the healing that you desire or the breakthrough that you desire, the protection or the provision. God is saying, I'm giving you all of myself in return for all of yourself. I love that when I see my son and we have connected well, when he sees me, he delights in me. It is his most beautiful thing when Sam runs to me and wants to give me a hug. Do you have that kind of relationship with God where you're not running to Him because you need something, but because you just simply love all of Him? When I talk about building an attachment with God and seeing Him as your security and all that, don't just think about it in terms of needs, but in terms of your heart and your desire and what life is all about as well. Is God at the center of what you want? Is God at the center of your life? Entering God's circle of security will radically change you because it's no longer you seeking what you want, but it's you with God, hand in hand, going, God, where would you like me to go? Let Him take you to the park so you can explore the playground. Let Him take you to your business so that you can be a better business leader. And take you to school so you can be a better student or teacher. We've got tons of you guys here. I realized that without entering God's circle of security, I went to God once a day 
when I read my Bible, but the rest of the day, I was off with the fairies by myself. Not really, I wasn't the fairies. But I did not bring God into my life because we did not have that secure relationship. If I can get the band up this morning. This is not a simple message. This is not one of those things where it's like, done, all good. This is a message for the rest of your life. This is a message that demands that you make a choice every single day, and possibly for some of you, multiple points in the day. Am I going to enter God's circle of security? And so this morning as the band plays, I actually want to lead you through a bit of an exercise that I've done before. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.